Thank you for joining this episode of the Inner Circle Podcast. Uh, this week, I have with me uh, Den Jones from Adobe. So, uh, Den, why don't you introduce uh, yourself and tell us a little bit about you. Hi. So, yeah, thanks for um, allowing us to speak today. So, Den Jones, I'm the Director of Enterprise Security in, in Adobe. Um, our vision is to deliver proactive cybersecurity for Adobe employees and their data. Um, you know, we continually drive improvement on our security posture um, ac across the internal Adobe landscape. And um, our organization, we partner with other teams on things like incidents and governance risk and compliance, as well as security architecture. So we, we do get our hands into everything, but we luckily enough uh, stay out of, of, of code and we stay into the employees and our our life here to make sure we're as good as we can. All right. Well, I'll, I'll kick things off a little and, and, and say that, you know, one of the reasons, or really the reason uh, that uh, I invited you for the podcast and, and wanted to have this conversation is related to a, a recent um, blog post uh, that you guys did um, on uh, Zen, uh, your zero trust enterprise network, and and, and so to kind of I guess lay a little bit of a foundation, and then I'll let you kind of talk more about that. But you know, the, the whole thing you know revolves around this this kind of the, the challenges and the struggles that everyone is so familiar with in terms of all the different authentication. Uh, you know, how many usernames and passwords you know you have to maintain, multi-factor authentication. Uh, you know, I mean, as long as I've been working in IT and in IT security and writing about IT security, this has been an issue. I mean, and I'm talking, you know, I don't want to date myself, but I'm talking, you know, a good, a good 15 to 20 years <laughs> that this has been an issue. Uh, and, you know, there was the, uh, the famous uh, Bill Gates declaration way back when about the death of the, the impending death of the password. And obviously that uh, hasn't happened yet. Um, you know, but but even with two-factor, you know, I think we, we still run into some issues. You know, there, there are there are, you know, uh, I, I've seen recently just uh, you know breaches and hacks revolving around circumventing uh, SMS uh, two-factor and, and things like that. And so, obviously, this is an issue both both from the security perspective of we need to protect these things, you know, as as, a, as an enterprise or as a business, you you want to protect your your network and your uh, applications and your data, um, and then also from the user experience side of, well, that's great, but I'd like to be able to log in. So, <laughs> yeah. I get so uh, with that as the foundation, I'll let you uh, talk a little bit about this. Yeah, and th and there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, if you if you go back to password security in general and the death of the password and the advent of multi-factor and then which kind of technologies we use there, there's, there's a huge impact, not just the security, but experience of the users. And, and users will always try and circumvent whatever controls you put in place if they need to get their job done. So ultimately, that friction between security, trying to bring more security to an organization and the users trying to do their job is a balance that we've been trying to strike for, for many years here. In, in this case, when I think of Zero Trust, th there's a lot, of, a lot of buzz in the industry about it right now, and, and many companies are, are pioneering it before, before we turned up. 
but we think of it as a philosophy we think of it as a mindset um it's not necessarily an architecture but but it's it's an end to a means which is historically for trust to exist when a user wants to access apps and services they would just validate they are who they say they are username and password and, and then once we think it's them then we get to the step of well what do you have access to which is all the ACLs and controls we put around the groups and membership well well the problem is is the the who you are piece of it we, we really kind of lost track of that over the years as, as an industry because we focused on the I believe it's you but the ability for a bad actor to get a hold of your credentials has become so easy that we can no longer trust that you are who you say you are so when we think of zero trust I no longer trust it's you I no longer trust your device in, in an engineering environment and a lot of companies really struggle to get a hold of their device and their inventory and their asset management. So we think of this as a, an ability now to put a chokehold um, on the devices themselves. And um, we, we think of our approach as being slightly unique, but also really exciting in the sense of we're, we're dealing with things like if you take the SANS top 20, we're, we're addressing the SANS top eight just as part of our initiative. And the know what's on your network piece, if we combine some of our technologies as part of the authentication workflow, well, we're, we're going to make sure that when you join our network, we're using certificate-based authentication, which we've done before, but it was a device certificate to get onto our wireless network. In the future, with our Zero Trust initiative, and our acronym is ZEN, um, Zero Trust Enterprise Network, um, we're, we're looking at a certificate which is tied to the user and the device. So if I've got five devices, then I've basically got um, five certificates. So this laptop here has a certificate which has got my user ID and the host ID of the device. When I join the wireless network, we not just now know that it's the device, but we know it's Den's device. We can get some basic fingerprint information. We know it's a uh, uh, you know, a Mac or a Windows, we know it's an iOS and an Android. And then with that, we can start to take all that data and ingest that into our Splunk environment. And now what we're doing is we're starting to apply some machine learning or, or data analytics to determine the posture of these things. So I'm going to kind of step back a little bit and say then for us, is really a play on the chokehold of the user authentication, the knowledge that the only reason you exist in this company is to do your job, and to do your job, you must access applications and services. So we don't need to, at a network level, get stressed about know what's on your network. We can use NAC and other chokeholds there to, to try and say, hey, in the future, you can only get on our network, or you can only get on these networks if you meet this criteria. And we can say you can only get to these applications if you meet this criteria. And then the chokehold is really the authentication workflow, which is something that we're really, we've got a great grasp on the authentication of our applications and services, which happy to elaborate on that as well. Okay. Yeah, so one of the things you, you, you mentioned reminded me that, uh, you know, I talked about, 
you know, it's the balance between, you know, you as the company want to secure things and, and, and the user just wants to get in there and, and get their job done. Um, but another aspect of the security side of that um, that I've been talking about for a while is there, there was a shift a few years ago uh, in terms of if I'm, if I'm the company and I'm looking at attacks, essentially almost all attacks at the point of the attack are insider attacks. Like whether it's actually an insider doing something wrong or it's an, a bad actor, an outside third party that has somehow you know, acquired those credentials, most attacks are being done using legitimate credentials, however they were obtained or, or, or doled out or whatever. And so, so yeah, you, you have to then, as the company, you have to kind of shift your mindset and say, well, it's not good enough for me to just say, oh, well, those are valid credentials. I have to, I have to step back and say, okay, well, those are valid credentials, but <laughs> those are valid credentials, but what are you being used to log into? Or those are valid credentials. And then, so, so I think you get into both, uh, both, this idea of, of, of zero trust, which, as you say, that's a, that's that's you know a, a a trending thing. It's become more of a buzzword in the last year or so. But you get into the idea of of zero trust, of saying, okay, well, I'm not I'm not just going to take your username and password, log you in, and then let you run free. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna continue to try to look at this, and then there's sort of like a, a Venn diagram overlap there of uh, uh, user behavior analytics and and trying to trying to say okay yes I've given you know you know Tony Bradley has authorization to log into this network and Tony Bradley has authorization authorization to access this data but Tony Bradley doesn't normally log in at 3 a.m. on Sunday from Shanghai yeah. so let's let's lo let's look a little closer at that yeah and it, it, so I I've been a huge proponent of security intelligence. I'm, I'm trying to avoid things like the buzzwords, so main, mainly because uh, Brad Arkin, my boss, and I, we've, we've had these discussions about buzzword and, and hype versus solving problems, right? So we try and not say, hey, it's machine learning, or it's AI, or it's UBA. It's really what we're looking at is I want to get a level of assurance that this account is being used by the correct user and not a malicious bad actor. And we have a security intelligence team spun up within my organization who focuses on taking all that data that we get. And we are, we're, we're, we're maturing this. We've, we're using open source libraries for some machine learning stuff. And, but ultimately, we've homegrown what we call a trust score engine. And what it's doing is it takes some binary information, ones and zeros, you either have something or you don't, right? I either have a, a MDM or EDR solution or I don't, therefore I'm going to trust you a little bit more. If you're using um, a good EDR solution that's logging to our SIM tool, then yep, we trust you a little bit more still. If you're using a device we've seen before, good level of trust there. If you suddenly turn up with a new device, then we lower our trust level and then we determine, and we've not quite built this piece yet, but when we talk about the second factor, we determine in future in real time, should we prompt you again for the second factor or not? You see, because most second factors you, you get with almost all the technologies that exist, this thing that says, I prompt for the second factor or not based on the application maybe criteria.
And most companies like we've done, we've got 1,300 applications, actually 1,800 applications enabled via Okta, and they all use second factor. 1,300 of them are configured to use our Zen platform today. And what we're trying to do with the Zen platform is basically say, based on the data of security intelligence, we will determine in real time in the future whether or not you should do second factor. Because second factor is really us just trying to validate that it's you. But single sign-on becomes a very intrusive concept and historically has been because users log into their, their laptop or computer. That's one login. Even before then, some users would log into disk encryption, <laughs> the unencrypted drive before, you know, companies right. like Microsoft and BitLocker. So it'd be like some disk encryption, then OS login, then I'm going to log into some apps that don't use uh, SAML or you, the, your SSO ecosystem, and then I log into my Okta thing. And then depending on how companies like Okta to configure and build their web-based single sign-on, you may log in several times because they're browser independent. So as a user experience goes, I've logged into five applications, but I've actually still logged in seven times, and it's the first hour of my day. Um, right. Now, we've we done a good job with Okta, Apple, and Microsoft where we hid um, the first factor of username and password. We use Kerberos for that. As we move towards our Zen lifestyle, we're going to eradicate the need for username and password. What we have done is we've opted to use those certificates that I spoke of before, and we'll use, we, we are using certificate for the first factor. Um, so for 1,300 applications, we are using certificate-based authentication as the first factor for everybody who's already enrolled with a, what we'll call them Zen-enabled device. And so as you go through the authentication workflow, we no longer need username and password, which is really good. And, and that's fairly unique. A lot of companies talk about cert-based authentication from a NAC perspective, but not necessarily as a user authentication perspective to get to apps and services. Um, and I'll pause there. Uh, the, one, the one thing, Tony, what's really exciting about that, though, is as we re remove our reliance on usernames and passwords, now we can start to look at things like the password policies in our organization for our main directory account. Um, so we are changing the need to change passwords every 90 days. And I think you'll probably be aware, but most service desks and organizations, the top 10 ticket caseload case numbers and service desks Usually, the top five drivers are related to user accounts, passwords. Right. Well, and I've seen uh, there. You know, in in the last year, there I think there've been a couple different uh, studies that have suggested that 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 sort of established best practice of hey, we want you to change your password every ninety days, thirty days, sixty days, whatever, is actually counterproductive. That that you know, not only are you creating significantly more tickets for the help desk, but you're creating more of what you're trying to avoid, which is users writing down the password because they can't remember their new password every 90 days. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, our, our service desk ticket numbers are in the thousands of tickets per month. And as part of this effort, 
we, we will reduce those by 50% this year and probably by around 80% next year. And, and you're right, you know, NIST republished their guidelines. And, and I always think of, you know, the password 90 day thing. Historically, going back into the 90s, people said 90 days were good because they thought if your account's compromised, that's the longest time a bad actor could have your account for. Right. And balance that with the business impact of changing your password all the time. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're big fans of, so we're big fans of password managers in Adobe. Um, we can continually uh, try to push and educate people on using good password managers. And then when it comes to privileged um, accounts as well, we, we, we are very big with some vendors on password management um, yeah. and, and password rotation. So while I say password policy may change, it actually applies more about some of the humans in the company as opposed to privileged or service or other accounts right. at high risk that we have really tight controls and we automate password rotation in some cases um, on a daily basis. But, well, oh, go ahead. So I was just going to say, but from a Zen perspective, our focus initially this year has been how do we improve the lives of 25, 30,000 people? How do we get their productivity improved? So our focus this year has definitely been on the endpoint and the user experience and how they go through their life. So removing the need for VPN. So internal applications being made available externally. We have, we've now got 23 applications and um, that, that are available without the need to VPN. We'll have more by the end of the year. And then we've got 1,300 applications that can use your certificate and you don't need username and password. And then we've got 20,000 devices already configured in that, that model to use our platform. So we, we, are make, we are making progress and I think of it as eradicate passwords, eradicate the need for VPN. As we go into next year, that's where you start to see the internal corporate network uh, being less trusted, where we actually integrate things like NAC and network zones and things of that nature, so that it really feels like your corporate network is more like a guest network. And right. we, we don't trust anything on the, the network. Okay, I was, I was just gonna, Share a story. When I, when I was an IT admin, we had, you know, this is you know going back when security was, in my opinion, really just starting to become a thing. Uh, and you know, we implemented a password policy, and I had all the controls in in Windows Server to be able to say, okay, you have to change it this many times. It has to be this complex. You can't reuse the same password for this many you know months or you know whatever the rotation cycle was. And there was a user, and I'm, I'm going to make up the password because I don't remember specifically what it was, but it was like her password was was rainbow, and that's just what she'd always used. And I was like, okay, but now your password has to be at least eight characters, and it's got to have a number, and you can't reuse the same password uh, for at least a year. And I made them change it like every every month. And so I found out like three months later that her workaround was that if it was March, then it was rainbow zero three and if it was april it was rainbow zero four and if it was you know and she that that was just that was her solution to that problem and i was like yeah i don't think that really meets my goal <laughs> of what i was trying to do um but uh, let me ask this okay so we talked you, you talked about the certificate based authentication and everything so if if the certificate's tied 
with the device. You know, you've got a laptop, and the laptop says, you know, this is this is Den's laptop, and and he's allowed to the, do this, that, and the other thing. I, I'm assuming you still have to log into the laptop. What happens if I get your laptop? Yeah. So the the good news is is um, you do still have to log into the laptop. The laptops are encrypted, and then as we move into we. So as we move into the latter half of this year, it's kind of not part of our Zen program, but it kind of is. Then we're going to start to use more things like biometrics and things of that nature. But but one thing is, is ideally to kind of thwart that scenario of the laptop being stolen in the likelihood you're sophisticated and you get into the laptop, because guessing the username and password is 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 not trivial but it's possible um then our our security intelligence information should be picking up that you're logging in from another location that's not normal and then the other thing is is we're assuming as well that your laptop if it's been stolen or disappeared we're assuming the user is probably going to be aware that they're no longer in possession if they're if they're aware, right. then we've got a process in place to wipe the device. And we've got a requirement for disk encryption on all of our laptops. So so we're hoping that if you think of just a, a layered you know, defensive strategy, then you look at things like, well, we've got disk encryption. We're starting to use biometrics on the laptops and, and those devices. We have MDM solutions. We have EDR. We've got intelligence that starts to pick up where you're logging in and what time and stuff of that nature. So we're, we're kind of thoughtful that that scenario could still happen today. And the one thing is, even if you do steal the laptop, the one piece you've forgotten, which is the other layer, which is the multi-factor authentication. Because if I see you logging in from that laptop and maybe you've logged in within so many hours, we're we're still going to make a deterministic approach whether we want an MFA or not. So some apps might be based on data classification that they always require it every time, whereas others might be, hey, wait a minute, we've just seen you log in from a location on the planet that you not you don't normally log in, therefore you're you're being you're gonna be challenged for an MFA. So I don't right. think I think this is the one thing. It's funny, I've attended quite a few conferences and uh, listen to a lot of presentations on people's zero trust implementations and read a lot of stuff. Uh, and the one thing was someone had talked about, well, you could maybe bypass this control, you could maybe bypass this, you could maybe bypass this. And it's like, oh, yeah, so if I get Mimi Cats on my box, then can I possibly exploit the box and get the certificate and blah, blah, blah? A very sophisticated attacker may be successful under the right circumstances, which we then have other strategies to try and mitigate, right? right so right. we're mindful that, yeah, you could possibly do that. But the same sophisticated attacker would have had a breeze before right. with just username and password. So just right. username and password, that's why we have MFA enabled on every single application, because we want to do the, the second factor regularly just because we, we don't have a lot of other defense and death strategies to mitigate that kind of scenario. Right. But we're always, well, we're always it, useful. 
it's it's and it's fair it's fair to say you know, like like the you know Adobe is making the claim and and I don't think anybody who actually knows security would make the claim that this is somehow invulnerable and impenetrable and 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 completely foolproof. It's a matter of you know can you raise the bar? Can you raise the cost of entry for an attacker without fundamentally harming the user experience or hopefully improving the user experience in the process? I mean that's the goal. Yeah, and that's Tony. That's the most exciting thing about this is because we have direct evidence in the sense of we do threat modeling and we know we have raised the bar. The the other thing is we know we've improved user experience as part of this. I mean, not having to VPN in, um, but knowing that the device that's connecting to that application is is a far more secure uh, device. It's a higher bar. Is, is really good for us. Now, the other thing is, is let's imagine you get an email, you click the link, and somehow your device is now compromised with malware and a bad actor. The other thing that we're looking to do is actually reduce and try and eliminate the east to west uh, movement of a bad actor. So what I try and say, and it's funny, because I, I say this um, kind of a little tongue-in-cheek to, to, to Brad, my boss, I, I say, almost eliminating lateral movement during compromise because I would be stupid to say entirely eliminate. I think the real notion here is this program's intended to make the make it harder and raise the cost of a bad actor to, to attack Adobe and, and our employees. And I really feel, you know, we've got so many layers to this program. We call it a program because there's so many projects involved to deliver this. <laughs> That I think this year and then next year, so we're not finished. We, you know, we're only about nine months into this. And I look at the nine months in and the investment we've made, um, which is really, really small compared to you know the the, the others and in, in the, the industry is is pioneering this. But we're we're looking to the next two years as being you know continual improvement. And the exciting thing for me is we're trying to break ground where if you compromise one device, you can't get to another device. So it's not even just zero trust of the network. It's zero trust of the device, the network, the user, build trust, and then in real right. time, make dynamic access decisions. And we're not quite there yet. Well, and I, you know, so with the, the raising the bar, I mean, I think that there's, you know, there's sort of two aspects to that always. One is the how 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 capable are you at defending and protecting against generic threats just the, all the stuff that's just out there on the internet versus how capable and and able are you to protect against a targeted threat that somebody specifically wants access to adobe and they're willing to do whatever it takes and they've got the the, the tools to do that and it's like you know when when generally when i think about raising the bar you know it's it's primarily focused on that first part it's the well i'm going to make it this much harder to attack me and 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 most attackers in that case if it is a generic attack and it's not targeted specifically at adobe they're just going to move on i mean they're not going to they're not going to waste their time and effort trying to figure out how to get into adobe if they can just move on to the next company who doesn't have that kind of protection yeah yeah um, no, absolutely absolutely I, I, and i think i think for us you know when i mentioned about our vision and mission at the start is to continually improve our posture 
And and the goal really is is you, you want to be prudent about the risks and the mitigations and the investments and the experience and you know disruption or frustration to your employees. You know, so the the balance, as you mentioned before, about the the rainbow password, right? You you can put in all sorts of controls and technology to try and protect employees. If it becomes cumbersome to them, they're going to try and find ways to get you out their way so that they can do their job. Because ultimately, they come in and they get paid to do their job and deliver results. And if as a security organization, we become detrimental to that activity, they're, they're finding ways to ignore us or circumvent us. But what I'm hoping we're going to be able to deliver with this program is a, a way that kind of gets us in the background, you know, we don't need to be seen and heard all the time, but you know we're there, you know we've got your back. Um, and, and we're not in the way of you doing your business. And, right. and that, that's uh, an exciting opportunity. All right. Well, very cool. Um, I mean, and, 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 and I think I, uh, I, I completely agree with the, with the whole premise. I mean, I've, I've worked with enough networks and, and, and talked with enough people. And like I said, that I know that these, these are, you know, these are issues, you know, the people, I, I don't know what the current average is, but I mean, you know, I, I've seen 10, 12, 20 in terms of the average number of usernames and passwords that people have to try to keep track of at any given time. And, uh, constantly changing them, and and so you know it's a it's a it's a pain point for the users. It's a pain point for the companies. It's a pain point for the help desk. And uh, yeah, if you can if you can simultaneously raise the bar for security and streamline the experience for the users, you know that's a that's a significant win win. Yeah, exactly. So um, so Ed, thank thank you for joining me. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time, uh, and uh, I will uh, talk with you later. Thanks very much. Adobe Security is one of the original sponsors of Techspective, and I hope you will help me show some appreciation by supporting Adobe as well. Most people think of uh, things like Photoshop or Acrobat or other audio and video content uh, tools when they think of Adobe, uh, not security. But the security of your data and digital experiences is a top priority for Adobe as well. Adobe has implemented hundreds of security processes and controls to comply with industry standards and regulations, and it developed the Adobe Secure product lifecycle to help protect from the software layer down. Uh, you can click the Adobe logo under Sponsors at the upper right of the Techspective site or visit adobe.com security to learn more. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and hopefully you are also following us on social media. But if you really want to stay up to date with what's new on Techspective, you need to also subscribe to our free email newsletter. The reason is uh, the algorithms used on social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter um, make it so that you might not see our content even if you do like or follow Techspective. So you can subscribe to our daily and or weekly email newsletter to make sure that you don't miss a thing. Just scroll all the way down to the bottom right of Techspective and click on subscribe in the menu.